0: You're listening to Wealth Tech On Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by LifeYield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry.
1: Hello and welcome to Wealth Tech On Deck. Thanks for joining us. The focus of our podcast is around the future of financial advice. We talk with industry leaders about their strategies to aid advisors and their clients in achieving improved financial outcomes. Each week we explore a variety of topics around wealth management and wealth tech strategies and execution. Our guest today is Dana Dioria, who is the co-chief investment officer at InvestNet. Welcome Dana, good to have you on board.
0: Thanks for having me, good to be here.
1: Great. So Dana, let's start with a little bit of background. I know you're at least uh, technically new to InvestNet, although you've worked there for, or at least with them for a number of years and reading up on your bio. But talk a little bit about your background, leading up to what you do today. We'll talk some more about what you do today, but uh, tell us uh, how you wound up uh, doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Um, so I joined investment about 10 months ago, which was, you know, it, it's been a blur. It feels like, you know, it could have been a couple months ago. And prior to that, I was at Symmetry Partners, which is a, a partner to Investnet. It's an asset manager, boutique asset management firm. Uh, I was there for 14 and a half years and we were one of the earliest uh, onboarded asset managers on InvestNet, right? So back in uh, 2006, it was actually one of the first things I worked on when I got to Symmetry was onboarding us as an asset manager to InvestNet. So I got a chance to see firsthand, you know, the distribution capabilities that that being associated with the platform was able to provide. And then ultimately, Symmetry also uh, became a client of InvestNet. So... I really, you know, got a chance to see InvestNet from sort of the outside in from a couple of different vantage points. Got to meet a lot of the people over here. And, you know, my trajectory at Symmetry prepared me very well for the role I'm in now because I kind of moved up the ranks in research from analysis and portfolio management to heading up the research effort, ultimately became a managing director at Symmetry. So it had you know a foot in each uh, world in terms of the investment side, but also the business side of investments. And that's very much what I'm doing here in this role. I'm the co-chief investment officer here at InvestNet. So it's a very similar role. So very nice path for me to go that way.
1: That's great. So talk a little bit, if you would, about uh, what you're doing now. What's, what's the role? What does a, a chief investment officer do these days? And uh, I know you're part of a much larger strategy as a, uh, a student of InvestNet and all that they're doing around intelligent financial life and so many other things about connecting many dots. And I know you're actively involved in much of that. So describe, if you would, uh, what you do at InvestNet and how, that all, how all that comes together.
0: Yeah, it's a very nice place to be as an asset manager because we're an asset management arm attached to a fintech, attached to an integrated wealth platform. So we have access to data and technology that is really kind of differentiating for us in the asset management space. And certainly my view is and has been that tech is going to it's transformed so many industries, right, Jack? And, and asset management is one of those. And so it was you know good for me to come into a position like this where tech and data are very much the fuel that's powering everything we do, asset management among that. So I, I sort of get to be at the adjunction. InvestNet PMC is the asset management arm of InvestNet. So uh, on the investment side, my role is to oversee a lot of the investment capabilities that we bring to bear so what are those portfolios model portfolios due diligence platform research and due diligence on all the asset managers that we have overlay services which is um, you know tax or impact overlay that we do across managers on our platform CIO support where we're helping home offices with investments and you know a variety of others I, one of the big like maybe single biggest initiative or certainly one of the biggest is impact and how we bring ESG and value and values-based investing to the uh, platform and also to our own investment management. So it runs the gamut, and I get to sit at the junction of all these different uh, pieces of the puzzle that InvestNet has assembled, including exchanges, which bring in a bunch of non-traditional assets into the mix in terms of what you can offer the client, you know, insurance, credit, you know, healthcare services, trust, et cetera.
1: Gotcha. So as a a historic asset manager, in terms of your background and what's led up to today, you've looked at pretty much investments and how to make sure those investments go up, right? (laughs) And deal with, I simplify, I know, uh, and deal with issues of risk and all all the normal things in in a portfolio. And what it sounds like, and we've chatted a bit about this in the past, it's a much broader portfolio from a business standpoint, strategy standpoint, where, uh, as I understand better for you to describe, you've been asked to kind of connect the dots across a lot of different parts of of InvestNet. I'm thinking of the overlay capabilities that you're working on, the credit exchange, the annuity exchange, the trust exchange, all the different exchanges that have been announced over time. I'm assuming, uh, and this is an assumption on my part, some of the acquisitions or partnerships that I see that are being done. A lot is about connecting the dots. And I I put this in the context of the Intelligent Financial Life, which Bill Crager wrote, and I've read. It's about sort of bringing it all together. So why don't you describe your role in the midst of all that? It sounds pretty interesting and exciting, actually.
0: Yeah, The Intelligent Financial Life, if, if you haven't had a chance to read it, invite anybody who's listening to the podcast to do so. It really is a nice framework for what we see as the future of not just asset management, but wealth management in general. And Bill did a really nice job of kind of getting people to that next step of any of your daily transactions are an on-ramp to your finances, right, your longer-term finances. And if we're all doing a good job collectively in this industry, we're able to make those connections for you. So certainly InvestNet, which has put together, as to your point, Jack, a lot of different partnerships, acquisitions, things that we've built over the years. The goal really has been to create this holistic platform. And I would say that everybody's mandate at some level is to help to integrate that platform and connect the dots, as you're saying, so that clients can get the benefit of that, right? So maybe their their first entry point to us is via money guide and financial planning, but then, you know, what other opportunity sets do we have available to them? Where, Where can we make best of breed solutions available? So all of us are sort of looking at that question of, okay, how do we put these different pieces together? Specific to your point on my role, where I see asset management coming into this is in terms of portfolio curation. So if I think about, you know, a standard portfolio in the industry is a 60-40, right? And it's Mm -hmm. public equities oftentimes and public fixed income via mutual funds, maybe, or ETFs or SMAs, depending on the account size. What I think the future of asset management has to kind of be and, and portfolio management has to be is solving the problem. So let's say it's decumulation with all the different asset types that are relevant to that client, right? And trying to, as the advisor, figure out what set of solutions makes the most sense for the client. And of course, this is part of financial planning forever, right? Like, You know, the advisor will go out and say, "Okay, I'm going to pair, you know, an annuity with an equity uh, piece. I think where we get to really leverage the power of all of the pieces that we've assembled is that we help the advisor along that path to the greatest degree that that's possible. So if it's a decumulation strategy. You probably have an equity sleeve, um, you know, for growth and fixed income for your cash management needs and some sort of deferred annuity for longevity protection. So putting that together, putting those pieces together. Another example is a high net worth portfolio where you're bringing in non-traditional private markets, for example, right? So a lot of advisors, I think, haven't looked in this space as much. It's it's a little bit overwhelming or um, intimidating in terms of if you haven't been in that space, can we make it more accessible so that more clients who are eligible for those types of assets and, and products are able to access them and get the benefits of that, right? Whether it's income generation or downside protection, better diversification, 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 whatever it may be. Another example would be, you know, we have a credit exchange. So if you have a client, which we see all the time, right? Clients with um, captive stock positions and, you know, the question is, how how do I manage that without creating a massive capital gain? Maybe the way you manage it is we create a custom indexing solution around it, a completion portfolio. We put an overlay, a tax overlay service, on there where we can help you slowly migrate the stock position over to a more diversified portfolio, and you use a securities-backed loan to manage your cash flow needs in in the interim. Right. The idea really is just to help advisors increasingly bring these different instrument types to bear. I mean, if you're the advisor, you're you're obviously dealing with the need to bring scale to your operations. And so can we scale these more, you know, sophisticated ways of managing client assets?
1: So as I listen to this and I'm familiar with it all, I follow InvestNet closely in the news and all the different pieces and parts, Uh, pardon the expression, but this stuff's complicated. I was going to (laughs) say something else, but (laughs) there's a lot there. And so maybe if you uh, could describe what's your role in that, in other words, your orientation is obviously on the portfolio and all the way things can work i mean that's sort of central to, to any any household set of holdings so how does that come together maybe i know you're doing some work i know it was announced at the uh, at your recent uh, the investment you know conference around some of the work you're doing on tax overlays so how how does that come together how do you how does that manifest how does that play out in terms of connecting investments with um, say tax management as an example of
0: so a lot of times it's a service., uh, we have a tax overlay service at Investnet where um, and it, and it's unique and differentiated, I would say, in the space because it truly is a separated tax overlay, and you can also use impact overlay uh, service that can attach to any equity money manager, um, equity SMA money manager within a UMA. So what you're able to do is instead of, you know, so, so most of, say, the direct indexing options that you see out there, Jack, you're really they're going to tax manage a piece for you, but they're also have to be the asset manager to do that, right? So whatever slug you're giving them for cap gains, or excuse me, cap loss realization or tax management, you know, it's generally wedded. Our solution comes together and it's the right way to ask it is how you asked it, because it's not necessarily the part of asset management that comes with a portfolio engineering or or portfolio management, because you have the asset manager separately, right, creating their buy range, sending the signals in to say, okay, this is what we're buying, this is what we're selling. And then if you put tax overlay on top of that, it's a separate service that's basically going to optimize you to that allocation, that that asset manager unaffiliated to us. I mean, certainly we'd love for you to use ours, but you you can pick an unaffiliated manager. We're going to just use the algorithm to optimize to that strategy, but at the same time meet tax mitigation goals. So uh, it's a balance, right? The the advisor working with our team is going to figure out how much do I want to balance, you know, tracking error with cap gains realization. A lot of the times these services are picked up when a client is migrating assets from say a, a stock position or an advisor had been managing with certain positions and they've just decided for scale reasons they they wanna move over to a managed account framework but they can't rip the Band-Aid, right? So you put the tax overlay service on and then you say, okay, tax sensitivity wise, tracking error versus cap gains, I'm gonna you know, slowly move this over. The algorithm is gonna do that. As you know, a lot of advisors do that on their own, right? It's part of one of the things they sort of do as a value add. I know many advisors who sort of spreadsheet that type of thing and say, okay, I wanna get you here, here's where we are. I'm looking at a spreadsheet and I'm kind of making decisions about, okay, we'll sell some of this and move over to some of this. And it's, you know, it's very manual. And this is an algorithm that's going to do that for the client. It's going to continuously look for cap loss uh, opportunities. So it's just, you know, it's a very nice way for the advisor to automate something that, you know, they may have been doing manually and probably get a better outcome because they're able to, you know, it's an algorithm that's focusing on that.
1: Gotcha. So uh, one of the challenges um, I know you're aware of is you've got a lot of capabilities that uh, invest in. You've got Yodley for data. You've got, or I'm not sure you're using those names anymore, but you've got data aggregation capability. You've got MoneyGuide Pro with the, with the, uh, the planning tools, you've certainly uh, a state-of-the-art platform in terms of all the different holdings. You've got multiple exchanges, annuity, credit, trust, probably more coming. And so there's a lot there. And one of the challenges I suspect and observe is how do you connect all those dots? In other words, how do you bring that together? That's got to be a big challenge. You've got Tamrack and you've got, I can't remember all the companies, but you've got a lot of different capabilities that have come together. How how does that come together? And is that part of your role or is that for someone else to figure out?
0: Well, so on the asset management side, it becomes part of my role because I have these great opportunity sets. How can we leverage? So, for example, you mentioned Yodali, right? We get great spending insights from Yodali. It's very interesting to get the insights from Yodely about, and so what they'll do is they'll take de-identified client data, they'll say, Okay, where how is spending looking on on different types of products, different industries, different sectors? And and so you're getting and you're getting real time information. So you're not waiting for earnings announcements to see, uh, how everything is panning out. You're kind of getting an inside look. So it's easy to see asset management opportunities with something like that. Right. I mean, certainly, you know, we're able at the least, even if we don't directly, um, impute that into one of our strategies, it's great information for an asset manager to be able to kind of have a a bird's eye view of something like that. You know, that's one example, right? There's also study capabilities, I think, over time that we'd be able to leverage. We have data analytics, which all of our asset managers actually, or I shouldn't say all, but many of our asset managers on the platform are leveraging to great effect, right? And data analytics showing you things like, okay, uh, A, at the advisor level, um, what are my cap gains realizations? Should I be doing this or that for the client? And then at the asset manager level, how are my flows looking? Um, you know, how do I look relative to my peers? you know, where am I losing flows to, et cetera. So, so it's really great insights that you could see being used there. Another uh, great piece is money guide, right? Which is financial planning. And of course, financial planning will tend to lead you to the need to actually implement the plan. And you know, then that leads you to asset management. So every acquisition or partnership or building block that's been created over the years certainly can be Used to work together, uh, for for asset management, or in turn, if my focus was planning for how do I then have something at the end of the, um, you know, the path that I've created for planning, I think it's a matter of figuring out for each client. And each advisor, what is the right on ramp to those ecosystems, uh, to that ecosystem of solutions, and how many of those solutions make sense? So again, it's you know I I use the word curation a lot because I think that's where we're at in this. I think you know when you have all these different solution sets and you have client needs. The advisor has a great opportunity there to meet those different client needs and has to figure out the right configuration of things. And that's where we have to help. That's where it really comes in to say, okay, how do we help the advisor? You know, put clients into some sort of scalable set of buckets, if you will. Right? Nobody's—you can't completely bucket folks. Um, there's always customizations. But at the end of the day, help the client, help the advisor look at these clients in a scalable way and say, okay, you know, for these types of needs, I think th- this solution, this solution, this solution makes some sense. That's how I see from my perspective connecting those dots. You know, if you talk to the folks in our data analytics team, or you talk to the folks over at Tamarack. Uh, who are, you know, obviously there's um, an RIA focus there. They might have a twist on that, but I think, you know, we're all kind of revolving around or orbiting the same ideas.
1: Gotcha. So that leads us to where, where you see things going at the industry level, at the investment level, in terms of your own purview. And as I look at all the capabilities, quite familiar with pretty much all of it, Currently, it's it's up to the advisor to access these capabilities. Where do you see things going in terms of the role of InvestNet? Because the, the complexity as we connect all these dots, as we've been saying, is enormous. I, I think we'd all agree and challenging to figure out the two key levers, I think, always in terms of improved outcome beyond markets or risk and tax. So how do you incorporate that? I noticed there was a recent... Uh, announcement around a risk partnership, I think, so. I'm not sure if you're involved with that or not. But I'm curious, how do you get it? Where do you see things going? What's the role of risk and tax in that determination? What's the role in literally optimizing all the p- potential or algorithmically uh, addressing the issues at hand in terms of providing guidance? Because there's always that push-pull between what's the advisor's role and what's a role like uh, an investment platform. So if you maybe expand on that, where where do you see things going?
0: I actually think it's going to improve. I think what's happening is it's just becoming more visible what was always the case, right? We are an industry that's always had innumerable solutions available. Some of the solutions are you know, easily, frankly, superseded by others, and that's not always been able to be surfaced. <laughs> because of the complication Jack that I think that you're referencing here which is you know it's just it's impossible for anybody to navigate the sea of solutions out there and figure out you know which is the absolute best for each client right it's just it's an optimization problem and there's no optimizer that can do it so advisors i think do a really good job of finding trusted partners and saying, okay, I can put together a very good investment solution for my clients with these particular partners. What I think you're seeing now is that so much is becoming available and so much is becoming uh, digitized that the array of solutions is becoming more accessible it's becoming more clear and obvious, and therefore the expectation set of the client goes up that you're going to integrate or utilize some of these types of solutions, right? And so it looks like a massive, you know, increase in complication, but these solutions in large part were always there. They're just more readily accessible now because of technology. They're more evident. And our job is to help the advisor uh, navigate that ecosystem better. And, you know, it should lead to better outcomes for clients in the end, right? Because clients, who maybe were not ever going to be introduced to a solution that would be really good for them mm-hmm. are now potentially more likely to be introduced because there's you know some sort of an optimization engine or some sort of guidance available that's helping the advisor you know, put them toward that solution. I also think it helps people do better comparisons, frankly, of the solutions that are out there, right? So there are more than one ways to skin a cat. Um, you know, certain certain types of uh, tax management strategies probably supersede other types of tra- tax management strategies in most cases. I definitely think it brings tech and you know, the application of data to these problems is absolutely going to improve customer experiences, but it feels a little uncomfortable if you're in a position where you've kind of built a business around more of a traditional way of just kind of, you know, relationships only. I will say this. I think it's a relationship business at the end of the day still. I think you have to have trusted providers and comfortability and good relationships that, that kind of back that up. But I do think that data and tech are going to improve outcomes.
1: So let's, uh, if you could wave a magic wand or look in your crystal ball, what does that look like? What does the intelligent financial life look like over time? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but what, what, how does that all come together? Because I think we would agree, it sounds like we agree that uh, the stuff is complex. There's a lot to it. There's lots of moving parts. It's so hard to keep track of. Lots of uh, Lots of smart companies are building algorithms to try to put all this stuff together. So what, what's your take? What's your, what's your view on where all this leads us? Where, what does it look like uh, year, two, five years down the road?
0: Yeah, I, so there's a few things. I think, one, um, you're going to see many more on-ramps to investment management. So we come out of COVID. There's obviously been a massive increase in retail investor interest and you know, retail investors going to markets via – you know brokerage accounts effectively, right? So, you know where does that go, and how do we help manage that, and how do we help clients? To a large extent, a lot of that could be considered speculation, right? Versus investing, where you know the the whole meme stock phenomenon, right? That this is a speculation, but there's an engagement level there that there wasn't before. So, advisors now are challenged to help. Investors figure out the best way to approach capital markets, and they have this interest level, so that so it has really positive aspects to it. So, what does it look like several years down the line? I think I think the recognition of that means that many different avenues become an on ramp to true investment uh, advisory, right? So, your credit card, your you know, some some transaction you make at the at the um, Whole Foods or whatever it may be gets you into, you know, it becomes an on-ramp to a portfolio of, you know, maybe stocks that are ESG solutions or, or whatever it is. I think also customization is gonna be a, a huge piece. I think it will be expected, you know, for a long time, or, or the knock that you even hear now is like, well, uh, do we really need customization? Most people are kind of gonna be satisfied with, um, you know, a, a packaged product. That may be true to a certain extent, but I think what it misses is people will expect that they can customize. So advisors will increasingly be expected to deliver options, right? Maybe you want a very low cost ETF. You don't have a lot to say about, you know, preferences for capital markets or where you, what you want your dollars invested in, but other people will. Right. So a lot of the a lot of the clients will expect and they won't expect to pay more for it. And they won't expect that it's kind of a big deal. Right. The advent of fractional shares, commission free trading, advisors are just going to be expected to be able to bring solutions like that to market. So I think on ramps into investment advisory are going to increase dramatically. I think expectations for customization and personalization, you're going to see more of that, especially too, as as again, you know, fractional shares is it's available, but it's it's really not widespread. Give it a little bit, and and it becomes widespread, and it and it's not a big deal to invest even small dollar amounts across wide swaths of the market. I think you'll see increasing, um, you know deliberation on the client parts about what they want to own, what what they, what they don't want to own, and they can still have a diversified investment and do that. So I think that's very nice. I also think, you know, a, a, another big piece of it from my perspective is digitization of the experience that the client is going to have with their investments and advisors bringing that to bear as well, right? Portals into seeing what what is my net worth? What am I invested in and not invested in? You know, have my credit, bring my credit cards in, bring my home loans in, you know, if I have need for a some other credit application or my insurance or whatever it is, I think we will be expected to deliver an experience that's pretty holistic to the client. Not only not the advisor, swivel sharing to these different systems, but the client not doing so either. So that's my take on where you can tell um, tech, (laughs) it revolves a lot around tech, right? And I I think that's what transforms the industry.
1: Yep, I I would fully agree. So uh, as we wind down and try to hit our 30-minute mark for our our conversation, uh, what are three key takeaways you'd like to leave with our audience on, on what we've covered or on anything for that matter?
0: I think uh, one big takeaway is I would encourage advisors to think about ways to scale, right? And to think about the expectation sets that clients are going to have going forward, which is going to be, again, greater what can be digitized, they're gonna to expect to be, right? And and what can be automated, they're gonna to expect to be. And that's not where the value add is gonna be. The value add is gonna remain in the relationship, which it which it really has been, you know. Every survey you see, it's like what do clients want more from their advisors? They want communication from their advisors, right? They wanna to talk to the advisor. So making sure that your when you're working with your client, you're really stressing the area where they care most about, which is the relationship with you, bringing discipline to the process, et cetera, and outsourcing and scaling uh, your business by outsourcing the stuff that is just increasingly commoditized. That that would be um, one major takeaway. I think a second takeaway is, is certainly around what we've just been discussing, Jack, which is this idea of personalization, where, you know, clients are going to, it's, it's going to be obligatory, right, that a client can say, not only what is my return, and my, you know, maybe standard deviation, you know, some portion of the population understands that, but also what are my dollars supporting, right, when I come to you to invest my assets, I expect that you're going to be able to talk to me about both my return on a financial basis, as well as my return on a impact basis, right? A social preference basis where I'm able to say, these are the things I invest in and these are the things I don't invest in. And again, it's just, it's going to be expected. It's not, it's not going to be unusual to, to have that kind of a conversation. But the good news for advisors is it's a real opportunity to engage, right? It's a real opportunity to know your client and have a relationship with your client that goes beyond where it could have been before. If you're just talking about the dollars and sense of things. So I think um, in terms of takeaways, that that would be my second big takeaway. And then, you know, I guess I would just leave the audience at a high level with that. There are a lot of solutions out there. Um, Those solutions may not in the past always have been surfaced, but encourage folks to to kind of look at the opportunity set and look at how different providers are able to bring those different solutions to bear in unique ways, in ways that speak to client needs. Right. So, again, I'll I'll go back to this curated portfolios where, you know, it's not necessarily a public equity, 60, 40, public equity and fixed income, 60, 40. It's a mix of different asset types that really, you know, kick it up a notch in terms of what the advisor can bring to bear with the client and the overall portfolio that they're now able to achieve.
1: That's great. Thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. And actually, my favorite question is coming up. Uh, So what do you do outside of work? We ask our guests each week, what do you do outside of work that uh, something you've, is particularly interesting or unique, or is just something you're passionate about? Uh, what do you do when you're not uh, talking about investments and uh, digitization?
0: <laughs> um, you know, I got—I have to answer. It's, it's not unique, I'm sad to say, but it would just be a false answer to say anything, but uh, I, I try to spend time with my family. That is pretty much, you know, I've got my family and I've got work kind of thing. And I, I try actually pretty hard Jack, not to over um, commit myself on, you know, a million other things because I really want to give my all to both of those. Sure, so sure. I have two sons and um, we do a lot of outdoor activities and have a lot great. of fun together and, and with my husband, obviously. So uh, yeah, that's, that's where I spend my, my free time.
1: How old are your boys?
0: 12 and 10. Great. That's great. I have uh, four sons
1: that uh, are a little bit older, but uh they're the light of my life, as I'm sure your kids are. So uh, yeah. thanks for sharing that. That's great. So this has been a lot of fun, as always, uh, to learn more about uh, stuff that I kind of know, but uh, know a lot better as a result of our conversation. So as we uh, uh, thank Dana for uh, our time here on, on Wealth Tech on Deck, I just uh, would like to shout out to our uh, audience. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we're now up over 1,300 listeners, which keeps amazing us. It happens uh, each week. We keep growing by hundred or two, it seems. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and or subscribe or share uh, what we're doing here on on Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. So Dana, once again, great to uh, catch up, great to uh, learn more. Thanks for the conversation. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck. Our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.